I've had to think up a way to survive since you said it's over, told me goodbye. This is what words can do. Dolly doesn't write, I've had to think of a way to survive. That of would imply that ways to survive trauma exist. Up implies survival methods will need to be invented from whole cloth, that survival is a creative act. Hello and welcome to The Right Question, a radio program and podcast featuring authors from the American West and beyond. Our funding comes from Humanities Montana and members of Montana Public Radio, and from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. I'm Lauren Korn, speaking with Lynn Melnick, author of I've Had to Think Up a Way to Survive, on trauma, persistence, and Dolly Parton. In this extremely readable but heart-rending memoir, you might call it a sad banger, Melnick explores Dolly Parton's dual identities as feminist icon and objectified sex symbol. Identities that reflect the author's own fraught history with rape culture and the grueling effort to reclaim her own voice in the wake of loss and trauma. Listeners, take note and take care. There are references to sexual violence in this episode. Lynn Melnick is the author of three books of poetry and a contributor to Not That Bad, Dispatches from Rape Culture. Her poems have appeared in The New Republic, The New Yorker, and The Paris Review, and her essays have appeared in Jewish Currents, LA Review of Books, and Poetry Daily. Lynn, I'm so happy to finally say this. Welcome to The Right Question. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here, finally. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, Because many of our listeners may not be familiar with your work or the way you came to Dolly Parton, I thought it might be a good introductory question to ask you to explain where your love of Dolly Parton came from and when did the idea of this memoir come about? Um, Well, to go back to the the earlier part of the question, I and, and this is on the literally the first page of the book. The first time I remember hearing uh, a Dolly Parton song, start to finish, uh, I was being checked into drug rehab by my parents. It was 1988, and I heard "Islands in the Stream" over the the radio uh, in the facility. So I, there was something about her voice that just captured me and made me feel like there was hope and there was love in the world and. Then uh, I became a diehard Dolly fan, and so cut to 2018, and I had just finished uh, a year of promoting my poetry book, Landscape with Sex and Violence, and I was worn out. I was worn out from talking about rape culture and, um, and my own trauma, and I just wanted to write about something that brought me joy. And so I thought, well, what brings me joy? Well, it's Dolly Parton. So like just a really uncomplicated joy. Um, so I actually um, just sort of in an offhand way tweeted out, what if I spend all of 2019 writing about Dolly Parton? And it, I just, I wasn't even expecting anything, but people were like, you should do that. You know, people were like really into the idea. And I thought, wait, maybe I can actually do that. Like what's stopping me? Um, besides the fact that I've never written about music or written a full-length prose book before. <laughs> but I thought, you know what, let me give it a shot. And I just set out to write about Dolly. And in doing so, ended up talking a lot about my own life because she is really intertwined in in so many of the moments of my life, you know, her music has just been there for me, you know, since I was 14 years old. 
Um, Lynn, you've written in the book about artists covering Dolly's songs and Dolly covering other artists' songs. Um, You talk about Whitney Houston covering I Will Always Love You, Nora Jones covering The Grass is Blue, and and Dolly really engaging with uh, her blues version of that, and then in subsequent performances, just kind of drawing from that that performance. Um, You talk about Dolly covering The Story, which was originally written and performed by Brandi Carlisle. You write of these and other covers. Um, I love how artists transform one another. I loved that line. And while this memoir is proof that Dolly and her music has influenced you, I don't think there's any any question about that, I'm wondering about how Dolly Parton's music or any artist's work has transformed your writing. And I'm thinking, I think, and feel free to take it anywhere you want, but I, I'm, I'm thinking more in a craft sense how your writing has been transformed by others. That's a great question. I, I mean, as far as Dolly goes, I think she's just been such a huge influence on me, and uh, you know, in so many ways that it can't help but seep into what I write um, and how I write. I think mostly my work is transformed by other writers. Uh, I think I, you know, there are poets and other writers who I feel have been a huge influence on my own work. Poets like Diane Wachowski. Um, Denise Levertov, uh, Alice Walker have all been hugely instrumental in in how I approach uh, not only my work but my life as an artist. But you know, to think more broadly as uh, to my life as an artist, Dolly has definitely been an influence there. Um, how do you uh, inhabit uh, the spaces, the artistic spaces that you're privileged enough to enter? And and what kind of good can you do from those spaces? I mean, Dolly is sort of famously uh, philanthropic, um, but not just, you know, sort of in a money way, because, you know, poets don't have Dolly kind of money. <laughs> so but, true. <laughs> right? but I mean, also just in the, how can you give back to your community and to sort of think about who might need what in the spaces that you inhabit and how you can help. Um, so in all those ways, I think I'm just constantly, I think, moved by artists. I, you know, um, David Lynch's films have been hugely instrumental to me in how I view the world and how I view talking about and writing about trauma, um, because I think that his take on trauma and it and and what it does to the brain and to a life is really unique and mirrors my own experience with it. So that's also been usually influential on me. I, I could this is probably a very deep well of who's of who has influenced me, but those are the ones uh, on the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I've spoken with a couple of other authors, both for the right question, but also through other avenues about words that show up in your book a lot, which are resilience and persistence, um, and even the word survivor, you know, how they either embrace those terms for themselves um, and or, you know, press against them, um, being known as a survivor, so to speak, or um, what it means to to resist and what it means um, when you are known for your resilience. Um, And in a chapter about Dolly's song, Coat of Many Colors, I'm sure so many of our listeners will will know that reference, you talk not only about the often privileged romanticism um, of hardship, like poverty or sexual abuse, but you also mention how survivability, right, one's overcoming of these hardships, 
often overlooks or negates larger attitudes about those who go through these hardships. Um, In that particular chapter, you talk about poverty as connoted as a temporary condition um, for white people, but as a failure for people of color. And this seems part of the conversation about commodifying trauma, which you talk about very early on in your book, but it also complicates that conversation, um, especially because these terms, uh, survivor and resilience, again, appear so many times in your book. I'm wondering if you could speak to those ideas um, so that our listeners might get a better sense of them and and how they appear in your book and how they're merged in your your conception and your perception of them. So... I would say that the idea of resilience is, um, to me, separate than the idea of survivor, right? Because to to survive something, you just have to, you know, live through it and uh, and keep going. Um, Resilience is how much you thrive in a way. And I think... um, there's, I think there's a lot of pressure on the survivors of violence to, you know, and I even, you know, talk about this in terms of um, Dolly Parton, some of Dolly Parton's songs were just like, you know, just get to it, just, you know, keep going. And, and I love that notion, but I also bristle at it sometimes because there's this idea that you can just, you know, pick yourself up and keep going. And I think that ignores the difficulty, especially, you know, when we're thinking about um, surviving sexual violence or intimate partner violence, um, you know, these things are so traumatic that they change our brains and they change our whole lives. And it's really difficult to pick yourself up and keep going and and move past it. I think, um, I think to just sort of this pat idea of uh, celebrating resilience um, and survivorhood is um, is problematic because we can't just you know n- not everybody has the the tools uh, the privilege and all of the things that help us survive things you know I was lucky enough to have health insurance and I was able to to get mental health help you know all of these kinds of things um, you know on the other hand um, I celebrate both myself and others who do manage to find some resilience and find some strength and and survive these things because I know how hard it is and I feel like it's the almost the hardest work of our lives is just to survive our traumas and it's it's when I say work I mean work it's really it takes a lot of time and effort um and and real dedication. So it's it's both um, very important to me and something I am proud of having survived what I've survived, um, and then also something that I look more carefully at to how we use these terms to gloss over, you know, the the actual work and the hardship of it, and how not everybody has the opportunities to get help in surviving that that I have had. Mm-hmm. I feel like this book is what you call in the book a sad banger. I feel like it's so – it embodies that idea. It's full of sadness and hardship, but it's also, you know, as we've been saying, it's it's resilient um, and really optimistic and joyful. And I think you balance it so well. Um, It's not – 
you know, my reading of it was not a downer, so to say. I was not so down every every page, even though you were talking about some really hard and really serious things. And your survivability, and I'm going to use that term because you do, um, your survivability seems to hinge not on humor, although you do talk about Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, um, and there is, you know, there is humor in the book, um, but it, it seems to be on something else, um, something more wild, like your imagination, um, which speaks, of course, to the book's title, I've Had to Think Up a Way to Survive, the first line in Dolly's song, The Grass is Blue. And I'm wondering, Lynn, if you would mind reading a passage from that chapter. Is that is that Okay. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I should say that um, the term sad banger just connotes a song that has sad lyrics, uh, but really upbeat or almost happy music. And it's it's the kind of song that I am the most like I'm just such a sucker for the, that that <laughs> whole setup. And I think that's just so to hear that my book is that makes me very happy. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> In a performance of The Grass is Blue at Nashville's Ryman Auditorium in 2015, Dolly introduces the song. I think almost everybody has had a broken heart. And if you ain't, you're going to have one. We all think when we have our first broken heart that it's just going to kill us. Well, a broken heart won't kill you, but it can make you want to die. To avoid these dire feelings, the song's narrator refuses to acknowledge or perhaps cannot even see reality. And so her pain is lessened by this refusal. Obviously, this is a fallacy, this myth of blissful insanity, perhaps representing the magical thinking of grief, the mental smokescreens and human defenses of living post-trauma. I've had to think up a way to survive since you said it's over, told me goodbye. This is what words can do. Dolly doesn't write, I've had to think of a way to survive. That of would imply that ways to survive trauma exist. Up implies survival methods will need to be invented from whole cloth, that survival is a creative act. In 2002, Dolly released a song on her Halos and Horns album called Raven Dove that closely mirrors much of the melody from The Grass is Blue. Dolly does this not infrequently, one song echoing or even banging against another years or decades later. Written post 9-11, Raven Dove is a call toward God, but one that isn't about Old Testament vengeance or the kind of patriotism that seeped into religion in the George W. Bush era of the aughts. It's about survival, redemption, God transforming hate to love. While the grass is blue, winds down sorrowfully at the end, no climax, just more of the sad, sad same. At the end of Raven Dove, Dolly's voice rises, hallelujah, hallelujah, in a way that mirrors religious catharsis. And with the original song hanging around in the background, it seems to offer even more hope, not in God, or at least not for me, but in survival. Maybe even after everything feels hopeless, there is a future with ecstasy, hallelujah. After I was raped as a child, it took me quite a while to tell anyone. I came from a secret-keeping family even before I had big secrets of my own to keep, so it was almost like I knew on some biological level to keep my pain to myself. Scholars of intergenerational trauma tell us, writes Rabbi Terza Firestone in her book Wounds into Wisdom, Healing Intergenerational Jewish Trauma, that the silence shrouding a family's untold stories paradoxically become the strongest form of transmission. 
I put my bloody underwear in my book bag and threw it away at school the next day, in the trash bin on the far side of the playground, past the slide and the baseball diamond and the handball court, the piercing sun of California probably pinning into me because it was always there doing that. I don't think I knew the words for what had happened. I didn't even know what sex was, really. I was in the fourth grade. Some survival ideas I came up with. Obsessive concern with the feelings and needs of others at the expense of my own. Crying all night into my pillow. I am going to turn around, and when I turn back around, I will be a whole new person. Alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, promiscuity, Dolly Parton, abusive men, poetry, 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 New York City, Zoloft, image rehearsal therapy, candy, friendships, high heels, poetry, Xanax, feminist activism, Timothy, Ada, Stella. After her near suicidal breakdown, Dolly hopped in a camper, no wig, no makeup, with her best friend from childhood, Judy Ogle. For weeks on end, Ladies Home Journal tells us, she swam, soaked, strummed a guitar, wrote songs, and read everything from self-help to poetry. She made it through. Poet Wallace Stevens said, It is a violence from within that protects us from a violence without. It is the imagination pressing back against the pressure of reality, which is another way to say, I've had to think up a way to survive. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a conversation with poet and memoirist Lynn Melnick. I'm Lauren Korn. This is The Right Question. If you want to listen to this conversation again or share it with friends, it can be found online at mtpr.org, where you can also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm wondering if we're kind of going along with this idea, which... I don't know why we wouldn't, um, that your imagination is what has at least helped you um, survive uh, your your past traumas. I'm wondering where that where that coincides or merges with your artistic practice. When did um, writing about your traumas and through your traumas begin because your your traumas began, at such a young age. Um, when did you start deciding to put those experiences on paper and sort of, I'm going to say, filter them through your imagination? That's a good question. I was a teenager when I started writing poetry. Um, and, you know, it was very, you know, overwrought and angry poetry, <laughs> which I think teenagers excel at. Um, and also just so, you know, unfiltered. And I just had to get this stuff out because as I mentioned in the, the passage I just read, I kept so much to myself. And um, as I think a lot of um, trauma survivors do, but I didn't have to do that on the page. And I just found the act of writing so pleasurable that it almost made it like manageable to, to confront the difficulties that I was writing about. And you know, when you talk about the imagination in writing, I could take these leaps that I could not take in in real life. You know, I could go to the moon if I want in my poetry. And so, you know, it sort of helps I, or it helped my brain sort of process a lot of stuff because it didn't have to be going over the same details in my head, you know, as it actually happened. It could be anything. And so, um, 
you know, and that's uh, sort of why, you know, this was my first non-poetry book and it was a real learning curve for me because it's memoir, you know? So it was like, I can't actually go to the moon in this book because that didn't actually happen, you know? And so it was really the first time that I have um, written about my own trauma outside of poetry where, you know, you can, you know, if you, if you get too stressed out about something, you can like, you know, you're off and talk about something else and you know and, and but you, in memory you kind of have to stick to the facts as it happened and so I think that's um for me having Dolly along for the ride was really useful because she was she was my you know go to the moon moment <laughs> like things got too intense writing the memoir parts I just sort of talk about Dolly who always brings me joy but I have to say that you know since I was a teenager just the act of writing makes me feel so free that um, it's just this thing that's just been really useful for me. Um, You know, it's like the writing version of art therapy. I can just get it all out when I'm writing. It doesn't, certainly um, writing doesn't, um, you know, cure PTSD or erase trauma, but it gives you relief and ease uh, for, at least it gives me that while I'm doing it. Well, and you know, this isn't, solely a memoir either, right? Because you are paying homage to Dolly Parton in a way, you know. So, And it it reminded me, you know, the way that you've written this book, there are so many mirrors and kind of uh, braided notions of it. But you do say that so much of, and again, I'm going to use the term survivability, you... um, took care of others. You're a nurturer. Mm. And so you were, you were in, in surviving, um, you, you put the, the lens on other people, whether that be your family right. or friends or the writing, you know, you, you, you shift the lens away from yourself and, and you do that in this book. You're, 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 yes. you're writing about <laughs> yourself, but then you shift the lens to Dolly and her songs and then you come back. And I, I thought that that was a really wonderful mirroring effect of what you were actually saying you did as a survivor. Yeah. Well, it was, um, you know, sort of enormously pleasurable just to write about Dolly so much. So that was, you know, it was a great escape for me as she's always, you know, once again, she's there for me, helping me write this memoir. Um, But uh, yeah, that's, you know, a a very common trauma response for people is just this over-concern with other people's needs and feelings um, in place of your own. And I do, that is you know, at this point, you know, I'm in my 40s, it's just a habit. It's something that I do. Um, but in this book, you know, I sort of I would sort of escape into Dolly. But then as you say, use the word mirror, like I just sort of let her reflect back on me too. So instead of just me like writing about her, like what can she teach me about myself? Or what does she remind me about myself? And that sort of kept me focused on like, you know, telling my story in a more direct way than I had. But it, it it was also just a relief when, you know, when the writing got too difficult that I knew that up ahead I had uh, Dolly to write about. And that was just such a joy because I'd never, I wasn't a music writer, you know, and I had to learn how to write about music and, and, and do all this research. And it was just so joyful, that part. And your book was such a joy to kind of meander through while Because I decided, you know, from the point I opened the book and realized, oh, this book is organized by songs, right? Um, Each chapter is devoted to a song, and there are definitely other songs mentioned, but it sort of centers a song and then your experience um, 
sort of orbits that as well. But, you know, as soon as I realized that this book was a playlist, I decided that I was going to listen to Dolly Parton alongside it. So I was listening Uh. to the songs that you were mentioning and talking about. Um, And one thing that I realized about Dolly Parton was, although she is sort of this singular voice in pop culture and in music culture, her collaborations are incredible. Yes. She's such a wonderful collaborator. Um, and Absolutely. that, yeah, that was, that was a really uh, unexpected, I think, uh, uh, surprise for me in my reading of the book was to, to learn not only through the chapters in which you talk about those collaborations, but just right. to know, you know, my Spotify, like giving me suggestions of different, <laughs> right. different versions of songs and collaborations. I was, um, I was, it was, it seems so fitting of her personality now that, you know, I know a little bit more about her, that collaboration is such an important part of, of her music and her journey as an artist. Yeah. I mean, she's incredibly generous, you know, with her, uh, with her music, you know, she, she loves to collaborate, uh, with people. She did, uh, two albums with Linda Ronstadt and Emmylou Harris, the trio one and trio two, which are so good. You know, and I I think it was Linda Ronson who was giving an interview about it. And she was like, we wanted Dolly to sing lead on all the parts because her voice is just so incredible, which is kind of funny coming from Linda Ronstadt, whose voice is like also incredible. Um, but Dolly didn't want that. You know, she wanted a true collaboration. And, you know, of course, her, uh, Dolly's collaborations with Kenny Rogers are so are so famous. But now, you know, these days she will sing, uh, you know, collaborate with people who are redoing her songs. Um, she'll do backup. You know, she's sort of, she, she says yes to so many opportunities um, because I think she, you know, as we were talking about earlier with how do other artists influence you and change how you practice your art, I think she's so attuned to that. Like she knows that, you know, collaborating with uh, artists will change how she she approaches her own art and her own performance. Um, and then just to say that one of the, like, the truly greatest part about having published this book is that so many people keep telling me that they're listening to Dolly Parton songs or that they discovered her song, like new songs, or that they appreciate her more as a songwriter. And that's super rewarding to me. This is a question I was going to save to like the very end of our conversation, but like, how do we find out if Dolly Parton is going to or has read this memoir? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I know that my audiobook publisher sent her a copy of the book, so maybe she will read it. Um, you know, the the idea of that sort of fills me with anxiety because it's like how, you know, she's my hero, obviously, you know, it's like, maybe I could have done a better job. <laughs> like, wait, like, let me fix it. Um, so there's that too, you know, and then of course, you know, the book itself is not always entirely uncritical. It's, it's always, you know, just head over heels in love with Dolly and her music. But sometimes, you know, I'll look at some of the lyrics or some of the things she said and just sort of discuss those, um, you know, in a, in a more critical way. So, you know, there's that, like, I don't want to hurt any feelings or anything. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, to have her read it would be like the true icing on the cake, just, just so that she can see, um, you know, the impact that she's had, on one life and then imagine how many others, right? Because there are just so many Dolly Parton fans, each with their own, you know, story of how Dolly has gotten them through so much. And so that's, you know, I hope that she knows that. I hope that she knows that she's been that person for so many. 
my last question, and then I will let you get on with your day. Today, what is your favorite Dolly Parton song? Well, I right now, um, and, and I mentioned this in the piece that I read for you, my favorite Dolly Parton song, and it's very appropriate to one of the uh, questions from a few minutes back, is Raven Dove. Like hearing her absolute joy and ecstasy in singing this song moves me in a way that I just, I can't stop listening to it. Lynn, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. It was. Thank you so much. That was poet and memoirist Lynn Melnick, author of I've Had to Think Up a Way to Survive on Trauma, Persistence, and Dolly Parton, out now from University of Texas Press. Look for more information about Lynn at mtpr.org, where you can also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You've been listening to The Right Question. The show is produced by Chris Moyles and me. I'm your host, Lauren Korn. I also engineered this episode. Our artwork was designed for The Right Question by Molly Russell, and our music was written and recorded by John Floridis. Funding for The Right Question is provided by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. Many thanks to Humanities Montana for supporting this program since 2008, and thank you for listening. The Right Question is a production of Montana Public Radio.